Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we are going to talk about how to prepare for the world of digital service. Uh, I'm joined today by John Barr, who is the America's head of IT at Kone. John, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Hi, Sarah. Great to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Um, some of you may have listened to an episode of, of the podcast that uh, was out a couple of weeks ago. John and I both attended the Service Council Symposium in Chicago and had an opportunity to um, participate together on a panel there. Uh, unfortunately, we had an audio issue and didn't capture all of his wisdom. So I asked him to come back and talk with us um, in a little bit more depth about a topic that came up during that discussion, which is the the fact that everything's going digital, including service. And there's some considerations for that and, and preparations that John has some some really good thoughts on. So thank you again, John, for, for being here with us. Um, before we get into the topic at hand, uh, can you tell us just a bit about yourself, your history at Kone? I know that you've been both on the operations side as well as the IT side, which I think gives you a unique perspective for the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. I think uh, I've been incredibly lucky to see a large number of changes over the past 20 years uh, in the service business working with Kone. It starts off with you know, the introduction of personal computers, uh, the launch of email as a collaboration platform, uh, going through ERP implementations, really focusing on eliminating paper from all of our processes. And after doing a lot of that work, I really had this urge to kind of work more in the business on the operations side. So I was able to work, I was lucky enough to work in a number of areas, both on our fleet programs, on uniforms, on various safety initiatives, and a lot of the process development aspects from a change management perspective, looking at the human impact of technology and process change. And most recently, I've moved back into IT to focus on the cloudification of many of our uh, solutions and systems, and increasingly the digitalization uh, of our products. And it's really been a great uh, experience to kind of work both on the business side and on the IT side. And one of the things that it helps me is I can speak the language of both camps. Mm -hmm. And many times I'm involved in you know, deep budget discussions and organizational change initiatives and trying to understand how technology is going to uh, support and be involved in those changes. So it's really been a, a great experience and something that uh, I, I like to bring to the table is that knowledge on both sides and being the bridge between uh, both parts of the organization. So it's probably an unfair question, but do you have a favorite side? <laughs> I assume you, you would have to, to maybe say your current side, but um, do you have, do you incline more towards one, one or the other? Um, do you have sort of a, a favorite role or um, how do you feel about that? Yeah. I, you know, it's a great question. I think always it's the technology for me and the intersection of the technology and the people and the processes. Um, it is interesting coming at, for, at it from different perspectives, and I appreciate um, the challenges of both. Uh, I do find, though, that uh, usually the technology challenges are a little bit easier, uh, and the tougher challenges are the people challenges mm -hmm. and getting people to try new things, to change their mindset, to adopt new ways of working. Uh, 
it's really hard work and shouldn't be underestimated. So sometimes I have to say I lean towards the technology side because it just seems a little clearer. But I also appreciate that the technology alone doesn't achieve the business case. It's the implementation, the adoption, the changing the ways of working, which really uh, turns the dial on the operations. And that's it's hard work that I appreciate from my my peers. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense, and it's it's um, was well represented in the conversation we had at the Service Council Symposium. That was on aligning field service and IT roadmaps, and a lot of what we talked about is that you know, you really can't do those things in silos. There has to be that collaboration. And so you having had experience on, on both sides, I think puts you in a, in a really good position to be able to bridge that gap, as you said. So that's great. So when we had that conversation, the topic of digital services came up as, you know, really the future for most manufacturers. So for the purpose of this podcast, can you define for our audience what you mean by digital services? Sure. Yeah. So I think it really is all about creating an evolving experience with your customers and with your physical product and doing that via software and then not having a static experience, but having one that evolves over time. And I really like to use the iPhone as kind of a watershed moment. Before the iPhone, you would buy a phone from a carrier. Uh, You would have a great experience with it. It would do amazing, delightful things, but it never really did anything new. It kind of did whatever you purchased. And if you wanted something new, you'd have to buy a new phone. And then the iPhone came and kind of turned that all upside down. And now the experience that came out was a minimum viable product. And then over time, the software changed and created new and delightful experiences. Now, that's great on its own. But what happened is that consumer experience changed everyone's perception of what a product should be in ways that we can never go back. You know, so now people have these new expectations for their products that not only do they do something when they buy them, but they buy them because they know they're going to do even more. Uh, as they own them and as their updates come down uh, from the from the provider, another great example is uh, the Tesla company. You know their cars start with certain functions. The people who've bought into them know that there's going to be new functions introduced on a regular basis, and that's part of the value proposition, part of the delight, part of the engagement, and the satisfaction of those customers. And we see the same thing in our smart home products, in Alexa and other things that are coming out. So it's critically important that we understand what experiences we want to deliver now and what experiences we want to empower and deliver in the future. And almost all of those experiences uh, are innovated on through software. Yeah. So this path forward, digital services, is, is as you said, born out of a desire for from customers for something different and something more than they've traditionally received. So how do organizations need to be engaging with their customers to shape what their digital services of the future are going to look like? And if you can share a little bit, how is Kone doing this? I think, I think it brought up the best point and that is you have to be laser focused on your customers and what they need and what's going to help them differentiate their experience and to magnify their business case and their promise to their 
uh, customers. Mm -hmm. So we're laser focused with our customers. We're co-creating on uh, with them on many pilot studies, and we're working incredibly hard to fail fast on as many of those as possible, mostly so that we can learn through the failures. And the ones that don't fail, we have a chance to kind of capture that lightning in a bottle. So you really don't know uh, anybody who thinks they know upfront going in exactly what's going to happen, exactly what you're going to learn. You're probably not innovating. Innovating is all about trying a lot of things, uh, obviously having an end goal and end focus in mind, but having an open mind for learning along the way and being prepared that many of the things you're going to try are going, not going to work out like you had anticipated. So you really need to invest the minimal amount to prove out the concept and either fail quickly or find that you might have captured uh, some lightning. Now, we're also working with partners in the industries that we run into that we see that have the similar customers and where we see opportunities to uh, contribute significantly to that ecosystem or in some cases, maybe even lead the ecosystem. Because in the future with digital services, it's all about the ecosystem that you're creating that's delivering value to your customers and how you participate and monetize uh, that participation. Mm -hmm. You know, I like that you brought up fail fast. I think that's an excellent point. I actually was just writing yesterday an article that um, that I'm working on on innovation because um, I was I was at the IFS World Conference in Boston last week, and Linda Hill from um, Harvard Business uh, spoke, and she presented an excellent session on innovation. But what it brought to mind for me is she brought up sort of the dichotomy between, um, from a leadership perspective, the way you manage change and the way you would manage operationally is far different from leading innovation, almost at odds with one another in a lot of ways. Um, And I I just thought it was a very interesting point and that, you know, what's being demanded of service leadership today is significantly different than what it was a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. And I think um, that concept of of failing fast and, and just the idea of embracing failure instead of avoiding it is such a, a um, important point when we talk about innovation. And it's something that I think is not comfortable for a lot of, um, you know, manufacturing organizations or field service organizations traditionally. So do you have any, just on that point alone, do you have any words of wisdom on, on how to sort of eliminate that fear of failure and instead sort of, you know, embrace it and, and harness it for the good of innovation. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I mean, most of the listeners here are going to be service operations professionals, and they've spent their entire career trying to never fail, (laughs) you know? So Mm -hmm. when you have your Mm -hmm. operations cap on, you're all about avoiding failure, proactively reducing risk, taking actions to prevent the failure before it happens. Those are all incredibly important things for our history and for our current business and for our operations. Then when we move into an innovation mindset, we need to set that aside and and say, okay, now it's time to learn. And I don't know about you, but when I failed, that's when I've learned the most. Mm -hmm. And, you know, knowing that failure doesn't mean 
uh, a negative, it actually is an incredible learning opportunity. And of course, if you're just failing fast to fail, you're not going to get much out of it. But if you're, if you're learning at each step, uh, you're becoming uh, more and more focused and you're getting information and insight that's going to help in- increase the likelihood of some success. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think what's also important is that you have to um, be prepared to be extra lightweight with your implementation. So what you don't want to do is spend months building a, a software platform or a product and then to have those months of investment uh, not turn out to achieve the business case and have some failure. You really want to be as light as possible, build prototypes of things in PowerPoint, you know, mock things up on, on paper with pencil, you know, mm-hmm. be, be very lightweight with your attempts, you know, and show that immediately to, directly to the customers, you know, on a regular basis using agile methodologies where you're constantly engaging, getting feedback, tweaking, making more feedback, you know, so it really, you need that rapid cycle. That way, once you do have a failure, it's not a significant investment that you've, um, that you're setting aside, but in fact, something that's been sort of lightweight prototyped and can inform the next lightweight prototype to be even better. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's really the, the challenge is to have those lightweight interactions and to have them fail as fast as possible and learn from them. Okay. So how do you feel digital services will promote deeper collaboration and co- coordination between field service and IT? Yeah, this is a good question. I think really we have to look uh, also at our R&D groups. So those research and design groups have been traditionally very focused on making physical products, on making them last uh, for a long time and have some capabilities designed into them. More and more, I see that uh, the R&D group and the IT group are hand-in-hand creating those products with software in mind. And what, what I see in the industry is that uh, increasingly, uh, there's an order of magnitude more software engineers required than historically uh, to be able to create those software-based experiences. And we really need to be partnering with the operations and sales teams who are working with customers, trying to understand their pain points and how our products can change to address those pain points over time. But it's really about putting these cross-functional Uh, agile teams together and focusing them with a laser focus on those customer pain points and really developing the product that is not only what it's designed to be today, but also has capabilities that empower it to do uh, amazing and delightful things in the future. It might mean that there's, you know, a microphone in a product that never had a microphone, but there's some potential use case in the future that would take advantage of that and then be able to provide some delightful experience or a speaker or uh, other things like that to allow some interaction uh, with someone interacting with the product in ways that aren't anticipated at the initial launch, but are probably envisioned uh, at some point uh, later on down the road. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, you know, developing products that can be remotely uh, upgraded is not a trivial uh, task. Uh, building an embedded system with that doesn't change, that only gets software updated by a trained technician physically on site, that itself is a, a pretty significant challenge that we've all wrestled with and have wrestled down to the ground and 
we have it pinned down. But being able to do that over the air without creating a truck roll and reliably and without inter, uh, interacting in a negative way with the function of the equipment, that's really uh, pretty magical and challenging to do. So don't underestimate the, the challenges there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what other areas of the business need to evolve to be ready for the future of digital services and how? Yeah, this is this is a great one because just when you think you've solved the problem, you've hired more software engineers, you've put the R&D and the IT team together and you've merged them with the business and co-created with customers and now you're working agilely and you're developing, uh, you've got a product out there and you're starting to, you know, rev on that product and create new experiences. All of a sudden you realize that all the other organization around you is built on a product release cycle that was based on physical products. So you go to the marketing team and you start to explain that you're going to have new delightful experiences that you're going to roll out. And they're thinking, okay, well, we put this in the first half of next year, the second half. And you're, you're saying, well, no, we're going to, every month we're going to release a new experience, you know, and you're operating a completely different cadence than they have geared their processes for. And of course they need, Maybe they need to create multiple languages. They need to create printed material. Uh, They need to engage with the sales team. Uh, They also have to engage with customers and be able to communicate uh, to customers the value of what's being released and delivered. And the legal team needs to keep up as well. Maybe the terms of use have to change or something like that. So you really have to look holistically across your business and make sure everyone's prepared to move at the speed of software and not the speed of the hardware product you've had historically. Yeah, it, it's it's really quite um, interesting, exciting, and also overwhelming. You know, when you think of the scope of of this change, you know, and and how this is really impacting businesses and and forcing them to evolve in in so many different areas. Um, it's it's a really interesting topic. Um, I, th- I think it also I think it also highlights the um, some of the challenges for a big incumbent in the market, mm-hmm. right? So if you have a scrappy startup, um, they may be already geared to work at that cadence, you know, and you're trying to change your organization for a new business speed. So, you know, digitalization really opens up that opportunity and somewhat levels the playing field with new entrants. Uh, so it's why we. You know, it's why those of us who are already in the marketplace, already established, really have to invest uh, to change because our traditional advantages uh, become um, smaller roadblocks and our legacy in some cases becomes um, a roadblock for us, you know, to be mm-hmm. able to move at that new speed. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, you know, when you talk about innovation, it's just, it's not something that, that maybe comes naturally to everyone, you know, and everyone and every organization, you know, and I think that there's still certain people and certain companies in this space that are fighting that, well, this is the way we've always done it mentality, you know, and it's just, it's a big shift to open yourself up to this whole new world. Um, it's which true. is the, the yeah, great thing though, I, that I like is that, uh, I really, relish uh, those difficult tasks because I know that my competitors are going to struggle as much or more. 
So it's really about how we execute on those uh, really difficult tasks and and how quickly and effectively we can change our organizations to take advantage of the opportunity, knowing that it's going to be equally difficult for Mm -hmm. uh, the competition as well. Yeah. So in this new world where digital services are, 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 and are going to continue to be what sets you apart from that competition, what are the skill sets that become particularly relevant and sought after? Yeah, I think this is a, a great question. And I'm going to sound a little bit like, uh, you know, like all the buzzwords, but um, I really believe that the that the role of these cloud architects, so the people who know how to hook multiple services and cloud services together in unique and delightful ways and fast ways, they really play a key role in uh, enabling these new software experiences. So gone are the days where you sit down and design a whole architecture and you install servers and you build it all out. Now today it's really about uh, finding the most uh, open architecture, the one you can integrate the most partners into, creating that ecosystem and doing it all in the cloud, probably with, uh, you know, uh, on, on a shoestring budget with a credit card, you know, versus a, a big capital expense approval. Um, so those cloud architects are key in identifying how we can leverage what's already been built, the building blocks, uh, the Legos, and putting them together to really realize this this new solution. On top of that, more increasingly important are these AI and machine learning uh, scientists. And that's really about creating that uh, delight part of the experience. We're mostly delighted when something feels very tailored to us. And tailoring something to someone or to a particular situation usually involves some form of advanced sensing or prediction or personalization Mm -hmm. that typically comes from that machine learning AI working on top of uh, big data to personalize the service for, uh, for the individual or for the particular tenant of that physical space at that time. And maybe tailoring it for the next tenant Uh, as they're coming in before they even arrive. And that kind of leads to the third big pillar, and that's these big data analysts. You know, we used to think we had a lot of data in our databases, but increasingly we're looking at not only the data we're gathering, the data the sensors are gathering, but also public data. So it might be looking at traffic patterns. We might be looking at weather. uh, We might be looking at uh, stock market trends and feeding that all into how the product is, is operating. You know, so really being able to harness that big data and figure out how we can uh, use machine learning to create these uh, new digital experiences for the end users of our products. Th- those skills are incredibly important. They're in high demand, and they're not easy to create. You know, they're not something that you can learn quickly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure you're not going to give, you know, anything, anything crazy away to, to us, but, um, so I, so you don't need to give me any future, um, futuristic information, but if you can share at all, how has Kone, um, address this digital services opportunity thus far? So maybe not looking forward, but where, where are you at on this journey? What are, what are some of the offerings that, that you've introduced and, and sort of the ways that the company has evolved and, um, you know, where, where have you taken it to this point? 
Yeah, I think one of the smart things we did early on is we realized that uh, our R&D group and our IT group were in different parts of the organization, had different tool sets, uh, different project management methodologies. We've combined those into one uh, Kone Technology and Innovation Group. Um, so that's really helped uh, define the synergies and overlaps and really helped us work as one unit to deliver these new digital services and solutions. Another thing we've done that's, uh, that we believe is fairly unique is that we've taken a look at our organization. And there's a couple of different ways you can uh, attack digitalization. You can create a brand new unit, have them completely focused on everything digital, and leave your existing business roughly kind of as it is. Not interrupt them. Don't interrupt the customer relationships, uh, the processes, things like that. That's a, probably a quick to market strategy, but may not be a lasting um, strategy. So we've actually, you know, kind of intentionally chosen to uh, embed digitalization into the organization, uh, even if it means helping them through the change curve, going a little bit slower, but making sure that everyone is thinking about digitalization, that there's not a special group that's been, you know, kind of off on the side working in a, you know, in a vacuum to create these new digital things and, mm -hmm. uh, but instead embedding it directly in our core business and in everything we do. And I would really, you know, try not to underestimate the impact that this is going to have on your, on your corporate culture, you know, so you really have to understand, you know, who's going to focus on this. And you really also need to make sure that, that you know, that digitalization is going to change all your products. And it's really not a matter of if it's just a matter of when and how. And as I mentioned earlier, this can really uh, make it easier for uh, new market entrants to come in and compete in your space uh, and, and even non-traditional competitors. So people you might have been partnering with in the past, now you may find that in some cases, a lot of the digital services you're looking at are overlapping uh, with your traditional partners. So that's kind of what our journey is that we're on and how we're kind of attacking the problem and, and trying to push this forward. Those are really good points. Um, and, you know, very applicable, I think, to to a lot of, of companies, I think, particularly breaking down the silos and taking a more cohesive approach um, is is imperative to really being able to get this right. Um, so that's good. What other comments or advice do you have on this topic? That's a good question. Um, I don't think I have any other comments. Um, the advice I think is just um, kind of goes to maybe on my LinkedIn profile, I, I put in there, never stop changing. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, that means that, uh, you know, what's made our companies great uh, in the past, you know, our processes, our tools, our technology, um, they're, they're, they are likely to not survive the next transformation. And, uh, you know, we read many times and I hear quite often that we're into that fourth industrial revolution, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that the half-life of our existing skills is decreasing rapidly and the investment needed for building these new skills is growing uh, rapidly. And so this, this gap in the skills that are required uh, is growing because of those two competing pressures. And this is really creating a fight for for talent, you know, so you really have to look, I think, at your 
at your existing talent pool, how you're going to transform some of those into the new capabilities that you need, but also how are you going to go out into the marketplace and attract and fight for this incredibly valuable talent and, and attract them to your company and, and to your uh, mission. You know, and, 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 and for some of us, it will be quite challenging because we'll find ourselves competing with uh, the Apples and the Googles and Facebooks uh, and things like that. So we really need to figure out um, what our value proposition is for that, um, for that potential employee, for that potential talent, and, and really lure them in and uh, capture their imagination uh, around our mission and vision. And I think, you know, also looking at never stopping changing, it's also important to be explicit about what you don't want to change. You know, don't change everything. Obviously, you want to keep your values intact, your integrity, and also your why. You know, why, why does your company exist? Why, what is your mission and vision and values? And keep those uh, consistent, even while everything else around it is transforming and speeding up and things of that nature. I think that's wonderful. I took note of that tagline. I love it. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's very applicable to this topic. It's, it's very relevant to our industry right now, but it's also a good message personally. You know, I mean, I think that, um, you know, you're, you're in a leadership role and I think that for you to be able to be innovative and lead change professionally you know, you have to continue learning and evolving and changing as a human being. So I, I think that, um, I love the, that you have that there and, and I'm glad you brought it up. So that's wonderful, John. I really, really appreciate you joining and, and sharing your wise words with, with me and with our listeners. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more about IFS field service management at www.ifs.com. As always, thank you so much for listening.